welcome to the A Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast brought to you by the ACO. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Each month, we feature a case presentation, interview, or discussion by one or more of our doctors who practice a different kind of psychiatry. We're interested in your questions and comments, and I would love to hear your feedback. Send an email to aco at orgonomy.org. The best way to help the ACO spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. If you'd like to be entered into a raffle for a chance to win an issue of the Journal of Ergonomy for yourself or to send to a friend, you can do so by leaving a review either through Apple or Amazon and letting us know by email. We'll be sending the winner issue 48-2, which includes the articles Life Without Medication by Dr. Dale Rosen, Tourette Syndrome as a Symptom of Character by Dr. Phil Heller, and There Must Be More to Life by Dr. Peter Christ. If you're interested in attending one of our webinar presentations, you can meet the doctors and join in on the discussion afterwards. You can connect with us and learn more at orgonomy.org or adifferentkindofpsychiatry.com. This episode features a discussion with Dr. Susan Marcel. I sat down with her and reflected on patients we've been working with, how the pandemic has affected our work, and what has been particularly moving during these difficult times. The other day, I had a particularly moving day with one of my patients, and I was thinking, I, I think we all have that at times where um, something moving happens working with a patient, something challenging, or just maybe something surprising. And I, I wanted to hear what's been going on with you and, and maybe just, you know, let the world know a little bit about what's happening in, in the office. You know, it's been a, it's been a tough year. Yeah, and- immensely tough. <laughs> This is probably the hardest year I've ever worked, and and it's been the hardest for my patients as well. So, how's it going? Um, good. I mean, now better. But if you asked me six months ago, I mean, I'm sure you saw this. You were in the thick of it. I was in the thick of it. You know, no one knew that where this pandemic was going, and the fear and depression was rampant. So, yeah. Um, it, it's it's amazing that we, you know it feels like we're sort of on the other side of it. Um, and just the work of that. Yeah, I hope so too. But the work of that, um, when I look back, it, it was hard and yet it was, it was a very moving experience with a lot of my patients because they had to work so much harder at just staying afloat, you know, because of the uncertainty. You know, when you first asked me to, to talk with you about this, the first thing that came to my mind was this concept of courage that, um, this past year and and throughout you know some of my patients uh therapy experiences just the amount of courage that they have in facing um their story mm. you know and and they just they're to, you know these are total strangers that pick up the phone call us and ask us for help and they're walking in and they're just telling us things that they don't tell anybody else yeah I think just walking in the door of a therapist's office it takes a lot of courage. And I find that really moving. And in this past year, I think it's been even more moving because there was so much else besides their own pain in their past. There was so much else going on in the, you know, in the social and political climate that they were all living in. So, 
Yeah, I, I actually just had a patient call me the other day and it was so clear just how much courage it took him just to pick up the phone and call and have that initial phone call for five to 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this was a, a man in his 70s who had been dealing with a lot for a long time. And then the pandemic just exacerbated everything. And he finally decided that he wanted to you know, address a lot that's been going on. And, and it was just so clear that it was a hard, you know, I could hear his his throat choking up and and him having a hard time getting some of the words out. And it was just so clear how much it meant to him just to get on the phone. So just in the phone call, yes. tremendous amount of courage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a woman who carried my business card around with her for two years before she called me. Oh, wow. <laughs> she was that scared to start treatment. She Someone had given her my card. It was through another patient, and she just couldn't make the call. So, you know, people call when they're ready, but that that takes so much courage, so much heart um, to really look inside yourself and take yourself seriously. And that's a hard process. And I find that tremendously moving when I see someone whose voice kind of crackles on the phone or, you know, they tear up or... You know, they just sit silently, maybe for the first time in their lives, to just realize what they've been through or what they're dealing with. It's very, very challenging, very moving. Yeah, I think it's worth underscoring. You know, the way we look at the word courage is is not not being afraid, but feeling fear and anxiety and still right. going forward. Right. Yeah. yeah, the word courage comes from the French word cœur, which is for heart. You know, and you have to be in touch with your heart to be able to face some of this stuff, you know, and they, they're showing us their heart. And, you know, and reflecting on us having this conversation today, I kept thinking about how in my training, there was a lot of um, barriers to my heart being in the room with a patient because mm-hmm. it was a focus on medication or you know, I had I had cognitive training, psychoanalytic training, and they were helpful to a point. But I always felt like just being a real person in the room with somebody, obviously, you know, with professional boundaries, but just being a real person in the room and acknowledging that, hey, you're hurting, you're a human being, it's okay to cry, it's okay to be angry, just validating. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think a lot of what we do as therapists is is i guess our function is to be perceivers we're, we're seeing them maybe no one else in their life really perceives or sees them clearly and that's i think one of the things i find most moving is when a patient knows i'm really seeing them like i get you i get yeah. you're going you're telling me something and i that gets me excited like yeah that's you that's you <laughs> you know um and they leave lighter and often relieved. Not not always. I mean, sometimes people are not relieved. They actually feel worse, and and that's just part of therapy, you know. Um, but all of that's just tremendously moving and challenging. I think both for the patient and us as psychotherapists. Yeah, that that actually what what you're saying about being seen is funny. It makes me think of. Um, something I, I've told patients one way or another, but actually about myself and my marriage, you know, I, I remember a long time ago hearing someone, they said a, about just getting to know someone 
for all, you know, when you're newly married or when you're first dating, it's just all this um, wonderful romance and it's all the best of somebody, you know, right. and, but just getting to know anybody's quirks and different things about them that other people don't know and it may not be the most favorable things, but just to, to really get to feel, you know, who somebody is and, and to hear about, you know, good and bad, it's just been wonderful. And, and that's something, you know, that I think almost patients can, it can help them to hear that too, you know, that this isn't just about the best of you, but it's about the hard times and, and what's difficult. And, and, you know, I want to hear who you are and, and see who you are. All of and, you. Yeah. 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 yeah and I, I imagine a lot of people don't have that in their life. They don't have that someone that can take all of them, the lumps and the warts and the good yeah. stuff, you know, um, and we all need that, you know, because I mean, the, the, the biggest thing that, that I, I think most of my patients struggle with is they have this core of loneliness, like nobody gets them, nobody sees them, nobody understands their depression or their abuse history or their, you know, their longing or their dissatisfaction with their work. I've had two patients say to me, um, if it wasn't for our work together, they would not be alive. Wow. That when I hear that, it just it just stops me. And, I you know, I always am very moved by that, that. They're here because of the work we did together. I took them seriously and they took themselves seriously enough to say, I'm worth fighting through this. I'm worth living, living and, and getting on the other side of whatever it was that they were, you know, they were struggling with. So I don't know that that to me is just a profound experience that um, it's very satisfying. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Just thinking of, of the past year being so hard, I think even though it's been difficult for patients and myself, doing the hard work together, I think personally has helped me, you know, of just having these. Yeah, how so? How so? I, I think them knowing a part of me of, of that this is a shared human experience, but, but also that, um, you know, when it's hard to see someone when we're all masked up, when... We're all frantic and, and frustrated with what's going on, um, even though, for instance, the pandemic has been, a, a, you know, this this thing looming over all of us uh, to get in some of the deep things that may been may have come up because of the pandemic, but are unrelated, you know, deep longings, like you said, or, or, or pains um, or even the joys that that have come up despite everything going on, um, connecting over that when in some ways we've been more disconnected from people than ever, you know, meeting on computers and um, not even being able to see someone's face, that has helped me tremendously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Some of my introverted patients have not minded this whole pandemic lockdown. <laughs> it's kind of funny. My extroverts, they're, they're really suffering that, you know, they, they want to be out more and, and they, they get recharged by being connected with other people in a, in a more extroverted way. And, uh, one of my introverted patients is a, a woman that um, I've been working with, I guess, about three three years, and um, she's a musician. And um, during the pandemic, she was able to spend more time. You know, she was kind of shut in at home, working from home, and so she would spend her downtime composing music. And it's actually really good. Not not a genre that I know well, but. You know, she'd bring it in to session and play it and you know like she had it recorded and 
it was a way that we connected like the, the had had she not been stuck in the house i don't know that she would have composed as much as she did um and then i i kind of made the decision to share with her you know my love of music you know because i'm a pianist and i showed her i played things for her that i've composed and i've played and there was just like this instant bond and now she comes in and i don't know the eye contact's different the emotions in the room are different like she knows I hear her music as that's one of the metaphors that we use. Like, you uh-huh. know, where, where is she today? What note is she playing today? And um, just the eye contact with her, um, that was hard for her in the beginning to like really just look at me. Mm. Now with the pandemic and her composition and music and, and just that we share that each time she comes in, we talk a little bit of, you know, we get to other things, but um, the music was a bridge. Our love of music was a bridge and that I found very moving because it's something that excites me. I love music, you know? Yeah. Um, and and for her to know I love it too, even though we don't listen to each other's style, more classical and her, she's not. <laughs> she's much younger, uh, different style of music. But it's actually, I, she's taught me to love a, a, a type of music that I would have probably never listened to. So I, I guess that's another way that patients move me is they open my world to other ways of thinking and other cultures and other beliefs and ways of expressing oneself that I would never have exposure to. And, and I feel very grateful for that, you know, but she, that, that particular story comes to mind because uh, it, it actually just happened again in the past few weeks that um, we got talking about how her music is such an important thing for her and she wants to have a career in music. So We'll see. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's the other the other part of what moves me with patients is the spontaneity. You can't script this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it just happens, you know. Well, yeah, I'm thinking about what you mentioned before about you kind of alluded to the structure of how uh, people look at medicine and psychiatry. And if you get stuck in whatever structure of, of it's an idea and not what's going on between you and the patient, you can miss out. And it sounded like you recognize that maybe playing music wasn't a typical thing you do, but that's what the patient needed. And it worked for you right. both. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. And well, the theory of, of psychiatry, psychology, I mean, it's, it's a roadmap, right? It's, right. it's a, tells you where you might go, but you got a patient in front of you. That's not the map. That's a patient. That's somebody who's, you know, looks maybe very different than what's on the map. But <laughs> the know? actual terrain. <laughs> correct. Correct. Like what's really out there? Is it a hill? Is it a rut? Is it a cavern? You know, and uh, and where where does one go with that? And so, you, you know, you need the theory and uh, the structure, but to be open to the spontaneity and and I often tell patients, look, like we're on this journey together. You get to decide where we go. I may point out some landmarks along the way. You may want to go there or not. That's it's up to you. And but you know, I'm I'm here. <laughs> um, and that that's that puts more of um, the work on, in their corner. You know, like they have to figure out what what they want to work on. What you know, with some guidance. But it's it's a back and forth spontaneous process that I find. Very exciting. I mean, that's what I, I really enjoy most about working with patients, just how spontaneous. It, no, no sessions ever like any other session. You know, it's it's yeah. like this brand new hour that's going to happen. Um, and I just kind of go in with this attitude of, well, we'll see. <laughs> <You know? laughs> For better or worse, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. 
that makes me think of a patient I'm working with. And we were sitting talking about some of his background, some of what's going on now. And I was just feeling just enjoyment of, even though some of it were talking about some of his difficulties, he was just nice to talk with. It was just a pleasant mm -hmm. experience. And I wanted to tell him that. So I, I just said, do you know how nice it is to talk with you? What and do you say? What do you say? <laughs> what happened actually was, he at first was excited to hear me say that and then he started to kind of get sullen and, and sad and he started to cry and he said dr burt that that's not the message i got growing up and wow. it was wow. it was this whole new part of him that we both um kind of opened up and just in this spontaneous experience with how wonderful and moving it was for me to just to be talking with him and to let him know and he, he basically said the message that, that he received was just keep things to yourself. Don't speak up. Wow. Wow. Which can create a lot of depression. My goodness. Yeah. Wow. He's lucky. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I really enjoy speaking. I, he, he's wonderful to work with. And um, yeah, I try to make it a point when to let people know that I enjoy working with them, you know? Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. No, I think patients pick that up. You know, I, and they know they know that we're invested. Um, they also know when we're not invested. <laughs> you know, I've had patients kind of, you know, if I've had a bad day or off day and sleep well or something, you know, they call me on it like, hey, are you in the room? <laughs> and sometimes, you know, I might not be. And I, you know, admit it, I'm a human being as well. And, you know, and, and to allow for that back and forth. Um, I know one other thing I was thinking of as you're saying is, one of the things that's been so moving in working with some of my patients is starting to work now with their children. Mm. Like I've been in practice long enough to now I'm kind of like the grandmother, you know, <laughs> like I've treated them for 20, 25 years and now their kids need help. Uh-huh. But what's been really amazing is the craziness like of the, the grandparents and the extended family and, and my patient wasn't passed down as much or was really diluted or stopped to the younger person. So I, I have two patients who I'm treating their, their children. Um, one's 20 and one is, I guess she's 14 now. And you can just see the health in the kids. It's, it's amazing to say, wow, they didn't, they didn't get screwed up as you would imagine, you know, had, had the parent not had the courage and be able to trust me in all those, you know, sessions that we had together, they might not have been as, as healthy a parent. You know, they were able to be more there for, for their kids so that they could express themselves and not feel like they had to kind of keep it in and, and stay, you know, depressed or stay uh, so isolated and lonely. And that, now they have other problems, mind you, <laughs> but it's, it's less, um, I don't know, less crazy, less, I hate using that word. Um, less rigid or just less um, stamped in or stuck in there. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. And wow. so that, and I tell them that, I'm like, you know, you know how lucky you are to have the dad or the mom that you do and they roll their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> like one day you'll, you'll get what I'm saying. Because <laughs> their parents really are kind of amazing, you know, that they, they've stuck with the therapy for years and, knew they had to do the inner work and that take the courage and trust me enough with what, you know, they were struggling with. 
and not act it out in the family system, you know, and not, mm-hmm. not make the kids the target of their anger. They can, I like, bring it to session. Don't dump it on your kid. Tell me. I can take yeah. it, you know. And that, that's happened in these two families. And I, I can't wait to see where these young people go, you know, in their yeah. lives, you know. Um, so one, one actually is thinking of going into psychology and, and studying this stuff. So that's kind of cool, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. I'm thinking of the idea of evidence-based medicine. There's your evidence that it, treatment is working. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. children. Just wait till we see their kids, <laughs> you know, yeah. because really this, this kind of all depression, anxiety, trauma, I mean, it, it's generational if it's mm-hmm. not stopped or, or addressed mm-hmm. and or can be generational. And, you know, I have a couple of patients in mind when I think about this, like they were physically or emotionally abused. And then, you know, they were grandparent was abused. The parent was abusive. They were you know, a little bit rough around the edges, but then the the child that I'm treating, this 14-year-old, I mean, she's just this great, young, creative woman, a young woman, a preteen, and she just loves to dance and sing, and she draws and paints, and like, wow, I mean, she just expresses herself. She's right there in the room oh, with you. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whereas her mother isn't. Her mother is much more reserved because her mother was was so critical and, and verbally and, and emotionally abusive. So I, I just find that very moving, be able to to see that, you know, that in generations and in family systems, you know, things can change. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a wonderful reward to see. Uh, job yeah. well done. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and I couldn't say that maybe 10 years ago because my, none of my patients had children enough that, you know, they wanted to come to therapy. But now, because my my work uh, changes with my patients and they get older and, the, you know, the kids start growing up and, you know, hitting that teenage window, you know, teens are having a heck of a time these days. Just I know. And they're, they're, you know, stuck behind a computer all day with school. They can't do theater, music, sports. Um a lot of drug use, you know, just it's yeah. it's really been challenging for my teenage patients. I mean, I'm sure you've seen that. In, with yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned drug use. I have to tell you about this um, young man I've been working with. It's it's it was just nice. So he came to me um, suffering from anxiety and that was his main concern. And he also mentioned he smoked marijuana and that has been on the table from the beginning that will address, you know, how he feels about it, what what effect it has on him. And that's been an ongoing discussion we've been having. And how old how old is he? He's about 20. 20. I see. Okay. Uh, so he um, recognized that he enjoys it. It helps him relax. And it also has caused problems. He feels foggy. He feels like he's just not as sharp with the work he has to do. And What's come up time and again is, uh, especially um, after a hard day, it's his reward. It, it it allows him to feel, you know, some satisfaction of I did. I I worked really hard today. I want to treat, and then he may decide he wants to cut back, and maybe he goes the whole week without. But he had a really hard week, so he treats himself Friday night. You know, I I worked hard all week. Uh, I paid my dues, and now this is what I get, and that just stuck with me, this idea of him being rewarded 
And so I just mentioned it to him that, you know, you, you keep saying that, you know, you need a reward um, at the end of the day or at the end of the week. You know, is there something stopping you stopping you from feeling rewarded just from what you're doing? Right. Um, right. And it, he, he he had this you know realization that he, he's always had a hard time feeling um, the appreciation of what he does, of being recognized for the work that he does. And just by looking at, at, at the feelings that came up from his use of marijuana allowed us to get into something much deeper than sure. just you know, drug use, good or bad, or, you know, bad. you didn't get moralistic about it. Yeah. And that, that was beyond his perception until we really got into, um, what, what's going on here? What effect is it having? That it was just this wonderful, like clear realization that he and I both had of this is the effect that he's getting. He's not feeling recognized and appreciated for what he's doing. And that's been an ongoing feeling he's had that he's been disconnected from. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. That's great that he could, he could go there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so now, yeah, the, the ongoing work we have now is for him to stay with that feeling of feeling unappreciated and, and, and staying with it and, and not escaping it through, you know, rewarding himself in some other way. Mm -hmm. um, so we have a new challenge, but it, it, it really feels this wonderful work going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in my training, we pretty much were told, you know, you have to get them to stop smoking pot. You know, well, <laughs> why are they smoking pot? <laughs> you know, um, what's what's going what's the deeper layer? You know, they're feeling underappreciated or they, they need a reward or, or other anxieties. So. Same with alcohol, too. I have patients that, you know, when, when you're saying that about a reward at the end of the evening, it's like I have patients that have, you know, Friday night, they'll just drink their six pack of beer and, and just kind of silently fall asleep, buzzed or drunk. And, and they, they wake up Saturday feeling terrible and then yeah. they don't they're not as productive and they're, they're not as present for their families. And, um, you know, that's. It's a similar thing. Like they're, you know, they've worked hard. They want a treat, but they really underneath, there's probably other things there that, yeah. you know, if we, we can stop long enough and just say, hey, what, what is that? You know, what is that? And that they're willing to look again, going back to the courage idea. It takes courage to be able to look and go, yeah, I don't feel so good about the work I'm doing. I need a reward or I, I just, I feel anxious or angry or I'm not, you know, I'm not getting the, you know, the promotion that I think I deserve or the raise or whatever. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. So facing that anxiety, um, that, again, that takes courage and, and that we can be kind of that safe place to let them, um, let them go there. Yeah. You know, let them just say, I need something. I need something from another person or I need something from myself. I need, you know, I need to acknowledge how I'm feeling, even if they can't change their circumstances, at least just connecting with what they feel somehow it just releases something. Yeah. Okay. That's what that is. Oh, I, you know, I get it. Um, that aha moment, you know, when someone connects, Yeah. you know, and, and boy, when I have that with a patient, that that's just so moving. Just like we see the light go on, you know. Yeah. Yeah. What what struggles have you had in in sessions with patients? Yeah. 
Well, yeah. Well, I worry about my patients, I guess, you know, I kind of, yeah. you know, I, when they leave, I think about them mm-hmm. and I just turn it off. I think, God, I wonder how they're going to do now that that's, uh, you know, on the surface and, um, you know, they know they can call me or page me and, uh, but I think because people have been suffering so much this past year and I've been busier, a lot of my uh, former patients that left treatment called me and said they wanted to come back in treatment because of the pandemic. They were really struggling either in their work life, their home life and um, in their relationships. So having to, like, you know, I didn't want to turn folks away, but having to work maybe more hours in a week than I normally would, that, that was challenging. And I oh, think doing that too. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's a, there's a shortage of mental health professionals right now. Um, and the need is so much greater. Um, you know, we do what we can do, but th- that, that's been probably my biggest struggle personally. Um, I think with patients, I, one particularly came to mind as you asked that question is I, I have someone who really has trouble just speaking up. She, she survived her childhood, very abusive childhood by, uh, just becoming mute. You know, she had a speech um, problem. She had speech training as a little girl. And, you know, it was treated very superficially and symptomatically, but no one looked at the deeper pain that she was in. And she learned to just stay silent and get along and keep everything kind of covered up and, and nobody will hurt you. That was That's kind of the message and the framework. And working with her has been very challenging because as therapists, we use words, Right. Yeah. To, to talk and try to understand this woman really has trouble. I mean, she comes in and she's silent. And what do you do with that? So we just kind of sometimes sit silently or sometimes um, I have like scoosh balls. We'll do a, a toss back and forth because she freezes. Her character is, is one that she, she freezes up and literally gets immobilized. She doesn't speak and she freezes. So we'll toss the ball back and forth. And that gets her loosened up a little bit. And so what I've had her do is with each time she tosses a ball, I, I say, just say one word, whatever word comes to your mind, whatever, you, you know, and she'll, she'll start speaking, but mm. it's because she's throwing the ball rather than just focusing on the defense of being silent. And, and that's really helped relieve some of the depression that she's been going through. Um, but that, that's been very challenging. I've been treating her for a couple of years. And this past year with the pandemic, it got, it got very difficult with her. Uh, and I think I was feeling more angst because, mm. because she was much, much more depressed, a little bit of suicidal thinking. Um, so she needed to be quiet, but she also needed encouragement to speak up. And you're constantly, sounds like, going between that balance of when to allow right. her, her silence and when to encourage her. And Right. Uh, mm. And, and that I, I trust her judgment that she'll know when to speak up and when to not speak up. That's new for her uh. because she never learned how to speak up. The message she got was stay silent yeah. and it worked. I said, you know, sometimes being silent is a good thing, <laughs> but yes. not all the time, <laughs> you know? Um, so, so it's taught me and it, it's been a struggle. Uh, it's taught me to not just rely on words. It's, Okay, what else is going on in the room? Sometimes in the silence, you know, you can, I'm sure you see this. There's some people you can sit silently with and there's a lot going on. Yes, yes. You feel, you feel them in the room. 
or even with telemedicine, you can feel that there's they're feel they're sensing something, they're aware of something, um, and you know that that's that's very moving to me and, and challenging. What am I experiencing as the therapist in the room with them, and what are they experiencing? And and you know to have that that um, connection to make sure it's clear because you know we can make mistakes if we misperceive someone. Um, so, you know, I, I tend to just kind of wait and see where they go with the silence. And um, I used to be very awkward with silence like that. But now it's like second nature. Yeah. To let someone just be with themselves. Yeah, and, I've been developing that too. And I, I, I've become more comfortable. Although if I do have a video session with a patient, it, it's right, right. a new level of discomfort because you just don't have that that physical presence of them there in the room where you can feel it and things can happen and so it's it's this new challenge that that i've come across anyway uh, it, it just doesn't work the same for me anyway yeah because you're a two-dimensional picture on a computer screen <laughs> energetically and emotionally it's a very different experience it's a form of connecting but it's different yes you know and okay so to, but to talk about that, you know, the, the pandemic has kind of made us go in that direction. Okay. But how does that affect a person? I have some patients, they have to be seen. They, they just, they cannot do the online. Yes, me too. Can't. Um, and, you know, that was a little anxiety provoking for me sometimes, but um, it, it's worked out. You know, they, they need the real contact with a real person in the room and I, I have one patient I'm, I'm the only one she sees on a week like she works remotely she's kind of dis distant from her family I'm it yeah speak that's pretty profound she's very depressed so you know I take that very seriously so you know yeah, the same situation there's a few patients that I'm the only one they see in person uh, yeah Yeah. One other thing came to my mind that if, if I could bring up. Sure. I have I have a patient that I often tell him that he's a miracle. Mm. And the first time I ever said this to him, this is probably, I don't know, five years ago, six years ago. I, you know, he had he was telling me his his about his childhood and I was amazed that he survived what he did. You know, that he had tremendous amount of abuse, emotional neglect, and physical and, and emotional abuse. And yet he was still able to function, work, you know, raise his family. Wow. Yeah. And, and I'm like, how did you do, how do you do that? You're a miracle, you know, you're a miracle. And uh, he kind of dismisses it. Ah, oh, doc, you know. <laughs> um, but when I say it, he always has this little smile on this, like, like he knows somewhere in him, he knows, and it, and I don't say it a lot to him, but I have said it to him, a, you know, a couple of times where I, I felt moved to say it, you know, again, what moves us in the session? I'm like, how does he do it? I, I don't know that I could be as as courageous as him. Maybe I could. I don't know. I mean, I didn't go through what he went through. Yeah. But he he figures out a way every day, and, and that little smile, that little impish smile on the side of his face. So I know behind that facade that he puts up, oh, doc, you know, no, what are you talking about? That he, I think he knows I get him. Yeah. You know, even though he doesn't want to let on that I get him. And 
but yeah, I think he really is a miracle. How did you survive your childhood? Yeah. That's a testament to the health in him. That's what I say to him. The health in you is very strong, you know, but he's got bruises. So mm-hmm. that's what we're working on. Yeah. You know, that, that makes me think of a patient that's, it's been a, a very difficult struggle, but, but it's a similar um, circumstance where this is an, a man in his seventies who developed a, a terrible chronic medical condition and needs many, many medicines. And even with the medicines, it's, it's not good. It, it's still debilitating from day to day. And he's very conscientious and, you know, he has his stuff together very well. And this condition on top of the other difficulties he has and the pandemic has really kind of brought him to the brink. And, you know, something that comes up, but he will take the symptoms of his condition as a sign of, you know, he's screwing up or he's not doing well or he's messed up and he'll he'll take on any any problem as you know he has a strong sense of responsibility and it's like he's taking responsibility for everything any problem that comes up whether act of god or medical condition you know outside of his control it he owns it and it's been very difficult but I, i i think like you're saying that it's amazing that he's even survived this long just getting through the day is in it you know is this um who was it? Is it Sisyphus who who pushes the rock up every day? I, I don't yeah, remember. Yeah, but yeah. It's like it literally, it, that's the challenge every single day. And so with, with with the medicines he takes, he takes medicine sometimes six times a day. Wow. And sometimes it's not just one tablet, but it may be three or four. And I, I had to tell him one day, you know, in medical school, I, for some reason, this stuck in my in my mind. You know, we were taught that if you take one medicine a day, you're probably 95% chance that you'll get it right. Two, <laughs> probably 80%. Three, right. around 60. Right, right. They didn't go down to four, five, and six. Right. But the fact that he can do that and then deal with the emotional distress he's going through and the physical pain and everything else and feeling alone, it's a miracle that he makes it from one day to the next. And, and, and it just... I have to tell him time after time, you have no, you lose perspective on how amazing it is what you're doing, getting through the day. Mm-hmm. And and if, if we're in person and I say something to that effect, he may be making eye contact with me. And as soon as I say something like that, he looks down or looks away. It's so mm-hmm. hard yep. for him to recognize, you know, your patient, you know, instead of a full smile, it's that smirk with my patient. Um, they break eye contact because right, right. it's just hard for him to recognize, wow, I'm doing a good job. You know, I'm, I'm making it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a great story. You know, the word miracle, I actually had to look it up uh, once and it is, it's from a Latin word. I cannot tell you what that is and pronounce it, but it means to, to, uh, to be astonished, huh. to marvel, at marvel, uh-huh. uh, to marvel, and then there's also a Sanskrit origin, which means to smile. Ah, <laughs> I think it's it's uh, smira, S M E R A H, and San. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but smira means to smile. So when my patient has that little smile, I think of that like he knows, he knows, yeah. you know, he knows he's he's not where he wants to be. And he still has a lot of challenges in front of him. But 
but he knows over the course of his life he's he's made he's made it he's somehow he's made it your patient somehow he figures out how to take medicine six times a day and 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 still handle his medical problems and open up to you about them that's a miracle you know yeah. and that he's breaking eye contact but it's probably hard for him to maybe smile and and to accept that wow I am kind of a miracle. I am, you know, I'm getting through this that I'm yeah. kind of astonished. You know, it is astonishing to to witness some of these stories that, um, you know, I used to feel traumatized with some of the stories I would hear. And some of them are, are really difficult to hear. Um, but, you know, just being able to help someone just be able to look and make eye contact, you know, maybe he will. You know, a patient, you know, may be able to own that in a way. Yeah someday yeah that's that's you know that gives us hope gives them hope you know yeah. they can't go on one more day you know yeah. dr marcel it's been a pleasure talking with you thanks dr burrett i really enjoyed this very much me too thank you you're welcome How do you feel after listening to this discussion? What do you think? Have you seen courage in yourself or others over the past year as we all struggled to manage ourselves, our families, and our work lives? We are interested in your questions and comments, and I would love to hear your feedback. Send an email to aco at organomy.org. Stay tuned for our next episode, and we'd love to have you join us for one of our webinars. The best way to help the ACO spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. I hope you share this podcast with your friends and family and let them know about our work. You can connect with us at orgonomy.org or a different kind of psychiatry.com. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Thank you for listening to the A Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast with the ACO. Since 1968, the psychiatrists affiliated with the American College of Orgonomy have been helping patients discover greater satisfaction, health, and overall well-being in their lives. Whether patients suffer with mental illness, struggle with addiction, or feel unsatisfied with their work lives or relationships, medical orgone therapy as practiced by the physicians at the ACO offers a way forward, often without the use of medication. <music>